Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Seth Rogen. Hi. Thanks for being here. Now, you have been obsessed with picking the biggest booger in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Now, you're, you're calling it the search for the big one. And you're asking people to pick their noses and send you their boogers. Now, I've got one for you right here. Here. Is this the big one? No, I don't think so. Uh, I didn't think so either. Okay. Well, we've asked our listeners to send in their biggest boogers. And I think we found you a winner. So this one is from Alex in Memphis. Check this out. Whoa. Is this... The big one. It's the big one. Definitely. Really? Wow. Well, take a good look before you decide that this is actually the big one. I think this could just be the big one. Really? All right. Well, Alex from Memphis has asked me to wipe this booger on seriously, you. Seriously, stop. It's like, seriously, <laughs> seriously, stop. Like, <laughs> Aw, you little touchy guy. <laughs> you ticklish too? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Seth. We did it. It happened. That was the big one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it really seemed... Like it was maybe never going to happen. I can't believe we did it here today. The biggest. I'm completely losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Seth? Episode four, bring that music up, bring it up. All right, who am I talking to? Talking to myself, because I'm doing that. Ha ha, just me here. Thanks for listening. Episode four, man, every week, how do people do this? It feels like a lot of work doing the bit at the beginning and putting this all together, making sure it's good. I'm not going to put anything out that I don't think is good. I promise you that. God, every week. How do you know it's good? When you when you make something, it's hard to know if it's good when it comes from yourself, right? That's something we discuss in this conversation with Tom Cowell, local comedian and writer for Comedy Central. Good conversation. This one's a good conversation. Well, uh, in the episode, I mentioned uh, that I'm going to a silent meditation retreat, a one day, and I just came back from it. It was yesterday, and man, I feel better. I don't feel great. I feel better, though. Could have been a lot longer. 
it's a weird thing like i was just sitting in the meditation and i noticed all these emotions come up and like this this ball of sadness just came up in my stomach and i it was like a kidney stone of sadness that just moved right through me and i felt it move and my eyes watered up and i just felt so much better after it passed it was it's not like i thought of anything in particular it was just it was just a feeling and we all walk around with all these feelings every day we've got undealt with sadness anger frustration whatever always undealt with and i think that's what meditation's good for just you sit there and whatever it is that's going on your brain your body whatever you call it it's just working it out and then it works it out and then it lets it pass and i feel healthier for it much healthier i it's easy to do the meditation surrounded by hundreds of people hope i can keep it up by myself that's the real test isn't it really that's the test will i keep it up i sure hope so because it feels so healthy so healthy and it's totally free okay thanks for listening to this episode this is a really good conversation with me matt kaplan and tom cowell you can check them out tomcowell.com c-o-w-e-l-l enjoy the conversation you're one of my favorite local comics by the way what's that you're one of my favorite local comics oh that's true thank you i appreciate that as a compliment uh you're number four if you need to change that with you change your volume um Tom Cowell, thanks for being here. Oh, are we on the air right now? Yeah. Well, the well, fake air. We're live. Uh huh. Wow, exciting. Live in person. I'm with thrilled ourselves. to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. We are drinking some Mexican sodas that Tom brought. I am drinking apple, and it is delicious. Thank you. I'm slugging down a piña right here, and it's it's hitting the spot. It's pretty great. First guest to bring gifts. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know Thank how to. Win. I know how to be a good guest. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know. Exchange of gifts is important in, in culture, right? You got to do that. You know, uh, there's a thing, not to get too deep right away, but Deepak Chopra says uh, it's good. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, don't want to get too deep, but, uh, you know, life is emptiness and we're all going to die unfulfilled. I don't know. Keep going. So it's good that you showed up with something. <laughs> but uh, he does say you should show up when you go to someone's house, you should show up with some sort of offering, not necessarily a material possession, even if it's just a thought or a good wish anything that uh it changes the whole energy and it's uh it's just a good thing to do that's a great thing to do most of the time i mean we know a lot of comedians and they'll show up with a complaint or some sort of plaintive like oh god the train the weather like immediately yeah you're brought into their anxiety field they brought an empty cup that you have to <laughs> fill with something usually literally that's you know or buy them dinner yeah so yeah it's good um i found that a lot of these conversations start off with small talk, so I figured it might be fun to alleviate the small talk Good. by starting with a game. Good. Let's play a game. Hate, right. hate small talk. So I did a thing what'd where... You, what'd you do? I took... I went to Matt's website, and I took the picture off of Matt's website. <laughs> like my, my, my headshot? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I didn't know about any of this, so this is all a surprise to me as well. Okay. Yeah. So I took the front picture off of Matt's website 
and I went to Union Square and I showed it to people and I asked them what they thought of oh my. this face. Wow. Here's what they said. Well, do you, you want to let Tom see my... Looking at this photo. Well, he's got that kind of look, like slightly conniving. Um, I think he's a conniving best friend. <laughs> this picture is a very imposing figure. <laughs> he's an actor, without question. He's gotten a couple day player roles, but he's more local theater. Commu like community theater. <laughs> regional. He's a regional guy, but teaches classes. <laughs> What if I told you he's an actor? What kind of roles should he play? He could play someone charming who's a little bit reserved, but actually perhaps quite warm. There you go. Who was who that last girl? Did you get her number? I have her number for you, actually. Thank you. It's 1-800-GOOD-LUCK. Wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I would just immediately say I'd, I'd cast you as villains. I mean, you got that Lex Luthor look. So immediately you get the best role, which is the evil villain. I'd love that. Absolutely. Are you casting a Superman movie right now, Tom? Well, I don't want to say I am, and I don't want to say I'm not. But See, someone did say that, that you were look like an evil villain. Mm -hmm. Just keep November free. And, okay. And... Uh, how do you work well with Henry Cavill? Do you think you get along with him? Oh, I'm not saying he's played Superman. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I can play well with him. Now, is that, is that, did I take too many liberties doing that, showing your picture to strangers? No. That, no? Okay. I'm glad you say that, Tom. I mean, you're an actor, right? Your whole, yeah, your yeah, whole life course, is yeah. showing want... your face in front of strangers. That's Absolutely. what you do. Yes. I'm glad you're not offended, Tom, because I did the same for you. <laughs> Oh, excellent. I went to your website and I downloaded the photo of you uh, standing in a suit with some graffiti behind you. I'm deeply offended and I'm about to walk out. <laughs> Here's what the people had to say. Okay. Wait, is that, is that Josh Duger? He's like a White House <laughs> correspondent. He looks like he's coming up in the school system. He's a writer. What kind of stuff does he write? Um, something quippy and a little dry and perhaps sad. See that? He writes to-do manuals. Very <laughs> sensitive poetry. What kind of writer would you say he is? Uh, comedy, but he has a background in literature. There you go. Holy shit. That's what the people think. There's a lot of information in a photograph that you don't understand is there, and it's true information. Yeah. Pretty much, apart from the fact that I'm not a White House correspondent... Pretty much everything is on the money with that. Yeah. And wow. You're not Josh Duger. Now, isn't that... Didn't she misspeak? Isn't that the woman... Isn't that the man who, um, like, molested his siblings? And I think so. Josh Duger, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But she thought that that was the name of an NBC White House correspondent. Uh, that was someone different. One girl said, is that Josh Duger? And I said, no, and then blah, blah, blah. Oh. And then someone else said... Because the first question was, what does he do? And then... Oh, I White see. White House correspondent. Yes. Um, I can't think of what would be more embarrassing, um, being a child molesting reality star or an NBC Washington correspondent. <laughs> you can be both. You, mm. <laughs> that's true. There's nothing holding you back. You can double dip. Life is uh, an open adventure. Why not be mm -hmm. a child molester? But and... all of that is true. That's amazing. I do have a literary background. Well, I studied English as my degree. Yeah. Wasn't that amazing that they, they called it for both of you guys? Pretty yeah. much. W were there ones that uh, you just didn't include right now? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ones that were way off? Ones that were just people trying to be funny. Yeah. Okay. You know, they were trying. Hate those people. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Any they insults? Any straight, like, this, this person's a dick? I got one. 
uh, just for, for being yourself yeah, in someone, the moment. Someone told me that uh, he couldn't answer the question because my the mole on my face was too distracting. Wow, this person has no focus. <laughs> no focus. And he was uh, trying to... Well, it's interesting. Interviewing people, I've noticed that uh, you have to give some of yourself because eventually they feel like they're just giving and giving and they f- might feel mentally raped or something. Oh, that's a very smart observation yeah you do have to share you have to say you have to model the behavior right it's like i'm asking questions like if, if i was asked that question i would give this answer right and then they go oh okay well then here's my answer exactly kind of meet them halfway for sure yeah and i think uh this guy was very touchy already uh, we i've been doing some men on the street kind of interviews and uh it's quite a learning experience i'll bet that's yeah. really cool you get all kinds of responses and all kinds of people wouldn't it be great if they'd given all those responses and you'd only shown them pictures of our dicks? <laughs> like, that they were like, I think this is an actor's dick. Uh, like, he's pretty funny, but sad sometimes. <laughs> well, there's many ways the bit can go. I mean, I could have shown him a picture of anything and told you guys that I was showing a picture of you. Yes, you could. Mm. That, that might happen later in the future. So, Tom, mm-hmm. um, I was reading on your website, it says that you are writing for Comedy Central now. That's true. Is that a new thing? I have been writing for them for about 15 or 16 months now. So uh, I guess relatively new, but I'm kind of a freelancer over there, what we call a permalancer. So Uh I never feel like I'm employed officially, but I absolutely am. You know, it's, it's a weird thing. So wait a minute, you're employed, but they don't, they only pay, do do they pay you a salary or you just get paid when they use Effectively they do. I mean, I do timesheets and things, but I come in every day and I come in all week. You oh, know, you do? And have, so, for, and have the whole time. So, you know, I'm effectively a, a full-time employee of this. From what I know of a job, that sounds like a job. <laughs> it's a job. You're right. I get hung up on labels. <laughs> so you go into the offices of Comedy Central every I sh- day? I sure do. That sounds like a job. It's pretty great. And uh, I was looking at your website, and I don't understand something. You write jokes, and sometimes they've used them as tweets, and sometimes they've used them as on television. Larry Wilmore used some jokes. Yeah. What, how does that work? Well, that's a great question. Um, so my job is great because I get paid to be funny, mm-hmm. which is the whole enchilada. Like, it was what we're all trying to do, right? Yeah. Um, and you don't even get the British accent in the writing. So you know it's not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's, then you know it's funny, because I'm not just Hugh Granting my way through this bullshit. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so Comedy Central commissions people to do shows for them, and the shows write their own stuff, of course. So Comedy Central, they don't write Nathan for you, or they don't write The Daily Show. They, those shows hire writers to write those shows. Independently. Yeah, yeah. But what we do is that we write everything in between. So like the whole Comedy Central social media presence, we all write. So if you need a funny tweet, you need funny jokes about contemporary events or mm-hmm. something else happening, we write those. And we also write promos. So like the little sketches that they're like little ads for the show. They could be 15, 30 seconds long. Right. We work with the shows to come up with stuff, but we write all of those. So that's what I do all day. I write promos, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Like when you get like Trevor Noah to say stuff you wrote, it feels incredible. Yeah. And I also write the social media stuff um, sometimes. So every day it's a different thing that you're doing? Yeah. Every day is really different, which is actually really exciting. I mean, you, it stresses you out sometimes because there's no 
rhyme or reason but yeah. on the other hand it's like oh cool a new challenge a new way to be funny fantastic so one day you went in there and they said hey we need some jokes for larry wilmore for the nightly show <laughs> is that oh, do you want to hear how i got the job the job at comedy central yeah oh yeah i'd love to oh it's a weird story no i don't really want to <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a good story because i feel it's a great validation of lessons that people talk about all the time but they never uh you know you know you never maybe hear the follow-through of it or you never hear the full story of it yeah like i uh was just about as broke and like miserable as you could be i was moving furniture for a living which mm. is honest work and good work but you know i have two degrees and it it really feels like i'm a struggling comic i'm moving someone's dresser up four flights of stairs not using your degree or no your yeah which degree am i not using mm. to move this couch <laughs> you know so it, it felt you know i was at a low ebb and uh, it really bothered me that no one ever knew that my friends were putting on these hilarious comedy shows. Right. Because there's a real gap in New York between people who are fans of comedy and, like, the promoters. Like, the audience and the creators of it don't know how to get in touch with each other. Right. There's some websites, like, this, the High Bender guy does some stuff. Yeah. But it's really hard. If you're not in that one page in Time Out, it's like hard to get an audience sometimes. Yeah, most people just think, "Oh, I want to see a comedy show. I have to go to the comedy cellar." Exactly. That's about and it. And then not get in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. usually how it works. So my friend was the music editor to the Village Voice, and I was like, on a drunken whim, I just pitched him one day. I was like, well, "You should have like a weekly post of like comedy shows that are good, and, yeah. and you don't do that. You should." And he was like, "That sounds like a great idea. You should write that." So right. I was like, oh, shit, okay, great. So I start writing a, village, a weekly post in the Village Voice every week about just what I would go to as a comedy fan. It's like, I am a comic, but if I wasn't and I was just a comedy fan, I would go see these 10 things. Right. So you created the column. Completely. Great. Yeah. We called it Cheap Laughs, and it still exists. I handed it over to Amy Hawthorne, who's an amazing mm -hmm. comedy journalist in New York. Yeah, I know Amy. Uh, great person. And yeah, I did that for like... Um, whatever that was two years one time I reviewed this guy I'd seen his show I was telling everyone to go see the show and didn't know him from Adam and he was really grateful a, a ton of people came to his show and he just said um, you gonna I, are you going to name this person? Uh, you want to give him a, a, a plug a shout out? yeah a you know, thank you an official thank you? yeah his name is uh, oh god I can't believe it Slash Coleman Slash his name is Slash how did I forget the name <laughs> yeah. Slash He's a storyteller and a yeah, wonderful guy. And he was like, One day, if I can ever help you out, I will. I hear nothing for six months. And then he like Facebooks me out of the blue and says, uh, there's a job at Comedy Central that you'd be perfect for. Someone I was talking to, I told them about it. And mm -hmm. I told them about you. They'll be calling. I was like, wow. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but great. Yeah, you don't ever think anything's going to happen yeah. until it already happens. Yeah, yeah. They're going to call you is like close to no they're not but you know it's a nice feeling yeah i don't in the entertainment industry i don't accept anything as happening until it already happened and i can look back on it and enjoy it i think the re you know things are happening when you have a check that's when it's actually happening when it's cash yeah, yeah when, it, when it's clears <laughs> when the check clears absolutely yeah um so i go in i have like three interviews with various people at comedy central and at the end of it they were like come in for two weeks Mm -hmm. and just see how it's a good fit right trial run two weeks becomes a month they like i come in for three months three months becomes ah uh, finish out the year 
and that becomes now I'm like, oh, I'm just part of the furniture now. And you're going in on your first day. What do they have you do? I wrote a billboard for Emmy consideration. Big deal in LA is like you, it, like trying to win an Emmy award is like mm -hmm. a huge commercial push. You know, people are taking ads out in the newspaper. People are doing billboards. People are really, it's schmoozing. Yeah. So I wrote a billboard for Key and Peele the Emmy push and in the end they ended up using it so three weeks after I so so you just wrote text for a billboard a month before yeah I was moving furniture yeah and uh, writing a weekly column for the Village Voice which I don't know if you know anything about the downfall of American media but that's not a pr lucrative job yeah um, and then a month later my work was on a billboard in uh, California above Pink's hot dogs it's like there's a huge like what yeah. what was the billboard what did it say um well it was when all this like um you know that basketball owner who was racist mm -hmm. it was when all that yeah yeah I just said it just said vote for us or Donald Sterling wins and you know you're both in stitches you're so you're, you're <laughs> loving this joke it's the funniest joke literally that's ever been said but um did you go to LA to see the uh billboard no I had it was in it was in the Hollywood Reporter, so I could just print that out and put, nice. that, put that in my portfolio. That's pretty a uh, legendary place to have it. Pink's Hot Dog is like oh, a place where, yeah. <laughs> so that was, I, I'm not bragging when I say that story. Well, maybe I am. Let's be honest. That sounded a lot like what a brag would sound like. If you didn't have a British accent, I would say no. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, so that's like, I love the fact that I have a kind of, I made my own way story, you know, where you just like, there's no, you can't wait for someone to open a door for you. You just kind of make your own door and smash your way through somehow. You know? Yeah. You saw a need for it. Didn't now, were you thinking that for a while or did the idea just pop out at you to write the uh, column for the village voice? Yeah. I was thinking about it for like six months. You are. Don't you have an incubation period? Like when you have a good idea, you're like, that's a great idea. What I need to do is not do anything with it for six months mm -hmm. and just mull and stew sometimes but most of the time i find uh, my best ideas just pop out of nowhere and mm -hmm. i don't know where they came from and i always say to my i always say that it's i didn't come up with it i was just a satellite for it mm -hmm. like i don't know where it came from but it, i was just a conduit and i just shot out and do you immediately act on it no that's well, what i'm talking about like i take the six months to like think G about it give yeah. myself permission to do it somehow see that's what i love about stand-up comedy and matt does improv and improv as well it's like that immediate thing of you have an idea and then you can get an immediate reaction from an audience uh -huh. mm -hmm. i love that about stand-up you can write a joke at two in the afternoon and at eight o'clock at night you can confirm that it's shit because no one laughs at it right. <laughs> yeah and it just goes to show one thing leads to another and you never mm -hmm. know where the next opportunity is going to come from. Mm -hmm. You do have a writing degree, a writer's degree, though. Yeah, I have an English degree. You yeah. have an English degree, yeah. yeah. And you've been writing a bunch of stuff before that happened. Yeah, it's, you know, terrible stuff that is mostly never going to see the light of day. But yeah, definitely. You, uh, yeah, We all, I think you probably write kind of compulsively in, in a way. And Yeah, I write uh, sketches uh -huh. and stuff mm -hmm. that but, I would love to make. Right. It's just piled up of sketches to make. Uh -huh. But yeah, I, uh, I love writing um, fictional stuff because it just takes me out of my own world and you can create this whole imaginary world. Um, the stuff you write, is it always kind of jokes and about certain things or do you write novels as well? <clears throat> no, 
don't write novels. I don't have the patience to do that. Yeah. Do you write novels? No, it seems like a daunting task. Yeah, it seems like if you, especially you put all the work into it, and if it's just as bad as one of your random jokes or tweets that you spent 30 seconds on, how heartbreaking is that? I don't, if you spend years on writing something that turns out to be shit. I don't really read fiction either. And I think that's a problem in my life, but I don't know how to fix it. When I read fiction, I just, it seems silly. Like I just, like this. What do you mean silly? Like a waste of time silly? Most stuff is bad <laughs> in anything. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Music, poetry, dance, architecture, you name it. You don't enjoy most stuff. Mo- no, that's not what I said. Most stuff, when it's made, is bad. Uh-huh. Before the editing and the rewrites, is that what you mean? Some things are bad after the editing and the rewrites. Yes. So the fiction I read is all like classic stuff. Stuff that stood the test of time, that people have been reading for 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. I love that. But when you, so when I go and I pick up a collection of short stories or a novel or something, immediately I realize it's not as good as as the canon, you know, the stuff that everyone loves, you know, the classic stuff. And I'm like, well, why am I doing this? Well, there's lots of classic stuff I haven't read, so why don't I go back and read that? Because then I'll actually enjoy that. I hear what you're saying. But then I feel like a prick because I have dismissed someone's life achievement. Like, I've never written a novel. I probably never will. And this person did. And I'm like, I don't know. know. They take themselves so seriously sometimes, novels. And it's like, uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that comic instinct to always undercut everything and think everything's bullshit and a big joke, you know? But, But isn't there something to be said for, sure, you could read the classics, but what about keeping up with contemporary writing or anything for that matter i mean the beatles made some amazing music that probably most musicians aren't going to top i, I but. keep on meaning to check them out <laughs> I, I, I mean i guess i think they're going to be big i don't even look at you know current literature but i i can relate to like let's say movies where i don't watch you know i don't even know what's out right now i don't pay attention to it i'd rather see a movie that was made 50 60 70 80 years ago that like one of those novels is a classic and I don't feel like I need to like stay current because I know what's current is all about trying to make money from it. So you can go to the theater right now and nine out of 10 movies are terrible. And that's because someone is just putting this piece of shit together to make money. You're saying commerce is driving all art nowadays. A good percentage of it. I mean, it, it probably has, it always has been, but I think more so now and definitely with movies and television. Hmm, that's awfully cynical. I, I think it's true. You were okay when he said things were, everything's bad, but all of a sudden I'm cynical. <laughs> Everything is bad. <laughs> I have, I, I, no, but there's like a FOMO kind of aspect to like my saying that everything's bad. FOMO. 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 Big, big. Big acronym I don't know. Big acronym you don't know. Keep up with an acronym. See? Now I read all the new acronyms. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's something. I keep up. Now fuck fiction, but I love a good acronym. <laughs> the only thing. Because it's I... quick. Um, <laughs> See, FOMO. I need to keep up on the Urban Dictionary. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Ah. Oh. That's, this is the big millennial emotion. Mm. That's why everyone's always on their cell phones all the time because they're terrified that they'll not see a picture of the great party that they weren't at or and then and then they'll feel like oh i have to go to the next party or whatever it is um and they want to keep up with what all their friends are saying and doing i wonder this this happened at uh my show on wednesday 
these like really young girls walked into the show and they were so excited that it was a comedy show happening. And the first thing they did, they sat down with their drinks and the very first thing they did was take out their phones and take a picture Mm -hmm. of the comedian on stage. And they were still like bubbling with excitement that they were at a comedy show, like maybe their first comedy show. They were so excited. And I still don't understand what emotion led them to pull their phone out and take a picture first and foremost. It's like they have to prove to themselves that they're actually there by having a photo. And, and to everyone else, you know. If it, they don't let everyone know it, it didn't exist. Well, they're also in a giant, unspoken, unannounced competition with every other human being in the world to feel valid and like their life is important. So everyone is curating their own life story through pictures and text just to tell everyone, I'm interesting. You know, right. that's what that's what social media has become. So you think they were so excited to be at a comedy show that they had to share their excitement or they wanted to show how cool they were or I think more the latter. Show how cool they yeah, were. To, I think just to validate them. I think that's that's really the word. Interesting. That they, they matter. I'm starting to do to do deduce that I'm with two more cynical people than me. <laughs> no but yeah, but I fight that. Like, uh-huh. I'm, tr- I'm trying to fight that in my life all the time. Your cynicism? Yeah, I want to feel present. The pr- the pro- my problem with fiction is, m- is my problem. It's not fiction's problem. Like, someone, an artist wrote a new novel. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. But I can't think it's... I'm worried about, well, is this the best use of my time? Should I go back and maybe read some... You're her- having a FOMO. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I, I should read H- Herman Melville or I should, you know, or I should go listen to that, like, I don't know, Odyssey album I haven't listened to from the early 70s or something. You know what I mean? So, that, and that's my problem. I just can't be like, well, maybe I should just connect with this and just still my heart for a second and still my soul and my itch to experience everything and cram all these things into my brain at one point and shut the fuck up and just read a, a new novel that I know nothing about. See, I'm glad I learned this FOMO uh, acronym now because it's kind of what I would, what I used to call the candy counter effect where you can't be satisfied. When there's too many choices, you can't be satisfied with any choice you make because, for example, if you go to a candy counter and there's so many candies to choose from and you just wanted a candy to satisfy you, there's too many choices. So you finally make your choice and you leave the candy counter, the store, like, ugh, I don't know. Is this the best one? Did I make the best choice? Maybe there was a better one. And you can't even enjoy that candy you just bought. It's the paradox of choice. It's, yeah, it's the paradox of having too many choices. Because hmm. choice is exhausting. Saying yes to one thing and no to another, like having to weigh pros and cons about something is takes mental energy it's taxing it's there's actually starting to be tangible scientific proof that too many choices is making us less happy i think that's fair yeah uh i just finished reading um modern romance aziz ansari's book Uh uh-huh which isn't you know he's a comedian but he wrote it with a sociologist and the sociologist has a lot to do with it so there's a lot of studies in it a lot of uh they did a lot of work to compare online dating with uh, older ways of dating and all these kinds of things and you know like india when there's an arranged marriage they have a much lower divorce rate than we do here where we have so many choices and now with tinder and online dating there's even more choices and uh, they're finding from their studies that people are less happy in their current relationships because of because of fomo yeah very possible 
It's also like we don't relationships are enormous amounts of choice funneling into no choice. Like the way in which we're supposed to in, is spend our lives is like a monogamous marriage with someone. So yeah, there's a lot of choice at the opening of the funnel, but mm-hmm. at the bottom it's like just Nothing. the fucking one person, that's it. I you think know? that's yeah, I think that's starting to change too though. Like this term monogamish. Right, monogamish. Yeah, that's the that. uh, the savage love, mm-hmm. um, the Dan Savage. Yeah, it's yeah. a great concept. It's a great concept, and it also like the older generations uh, when they would break up or get a divorce, they would hate each other, and that was normal to just never speak again. You mm-hmm. might be married for fifteen or twenty years, and then that's it. But now this current generation is, we did it. We had a very successful fifteen twenty year marriage, and also if you end up cheating on your partner once or twice in 20 years i think that's starting to be viewed as pretty successful yeah you, yeah you you generally you know it was it was a good match you know you wobbled a little you bit you wobbled a little bit but, but we're only human but in the end you wobbled and came back you didn't wobble and be like no i prefer the wobble like let's go wobble some more you know you, and, yeah. you came back and i think in the older generations um they might up oh, once you stray that's it boom done over nuclear bomb blow it up sure and nowadays, it's just like, all right, well, we can work it out, get past it. I had a, just talk, going back to FOMO and phone shit, which I find fascinating. I'm trying to write jokes about phone stuff right now uh-huh. in a very meaningful way. And I promise I won't run bits. But um, uh, I tried last Sunday to have an hour where I didn't look at any screen. Mm. I was like, I have to give this to myself. And that includes like listening to a podcast like i couldn't walk down the street with headphones or music in like that would be wrong so i i went to go look at the sunset uh-huh this was an experience i thought i could have yeah just to myself sunday night seven thirty, greenpoint waterfront the sun setting over manhattan fewer fewer better views in the world in my opinion did you right? have your phone on you yes you mistake did. yeah that was the mistake totally i go before I even know it, like Frodo or Gollum or something, my phone is in my hand and I'm taking a fucking picture of the sunset. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. I couldn't stay in the moment and just watch that ball go down and be in the present. You are that 19-year-old girl at my comedy show. I've often felt like a 19-year-old girl. Um, but that's usually only on a webcam very you, late at night. Have you tried to unpack why you did that? Like... Yeah, you want to memorialize the moment. And it's exactly what we were talking about, like like a little girl, like the, the 19-year-old girls would do, I think. I just, I wanted maybe one day to see it again or maybe show someone else that I, yeah, that's probably what it was. I want it now, and I'm doing it right now. I wanted to tell the story of me looking at a sunset. And now I am telling the story <laughs> of me looking at a sunset. And we're sharing that joyful experience with you. Yeah, I guess that's good. Is there something wrong with that? N- no, I probably not. No, but we're not talking about the joyful experience of the sunset. We're talking about how you couldn't keep your phone in your pants. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> keep your phone in your pants. Do you want to see a picture of it? I have it right here. <laughs> don't worry about it. We don't, it's on my Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I mean, you probably didn't even send the photo. No, I didn't. I have so yeah. many photos of, of, of stuff I've never taken a picture of. I mean, of. I'm guilty of it. I've taken a picture of a sunset too, but mm-hmm. I just oh, yeah. delete it later. You know what? The, the wallpaper on my phone, this is... The, I want to I want to be like this more often. And if mm-hmm. I'm hijacking the conversation, slap me, tell me to shut up. But um, two years ago, I went to Italy for the first time. I'd never been before. Mm-hmm. And the way I travel, yeah, 
is that I try to make myself an expert on the place before I go to the place. Okay. So I Wikipedia the fuck out of it. I, I read the guidebook cover to cover. Yeah. It's almost like I'm resisting surprise. I just want to know about it already, which on the one hand is kind of good because I can kind of... I have a rich experience in some ways. Yeah, it adds depth to the things you're seeing. But in other ways, like I, I take away my ability to feel joy in the moment or surprise. Yeah, yeah. I went to Florence on a day trip to Florence and I deliberately chose to not know anything about Florence. Mm-hmm. My parents and my brother were there and we just, we just got on the train and that was it. Yeah. So, so you've measured the, you've been able to compare knowing yeah. nothing about Florence. And I was seized with anxiety because of course I had a, a foreign cell phone plan. So I couldn't Wikipedia Florence quietly on the train, you know, right. so like I, I, I knew nothing. And I did not like it. I did not enjoy the feeling of like, I'm going to one of the great European cities and I really don't know anything about it. Right. I could miss the thing you're supposed to do. Right. FOMO again. I could not yeah. go to the gelato place that everyone's supposed to go to. I could miss out on the slice of pizza that everyone says is the best one. Right. You know? Yeah. I turn a corner and in front of me is what I later found out is the thing in Florence, which is the Duomo and mm-hmm. the bell tower, which mm-hmm. took about 80 years to build. Mm-hmm. It's, it has Michelangelo frescoes all around the inside of it. Yeah. But outside of it, genuinely moved to tears at the sight of something I wasn't expecting. Like I turned the corner and I felt I saw a building that was so beautiful that I had never seen before, was not expecting to see, and almost cried on the street. What was that? The Duomo. Like uh-huh. that. that it, I'll show you a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's famous. It's well known. Obviously, it is the thing. Yeah. And I, you know, don't feel bad for not knowing about it. I I did not know about it. Like, well, it's funny. <laughs> I am like totally opposite you with traveling. I don't want to know anything about the place. Um, I'll read about it afterwards. I might want to know its history a uh-huh. little bit, just to add some depth. But uh, I like to have my own experiences, and I never want to go to the places I'm supposed to go to. I just want to go, and I want to talk to the people and get a feel for the people and maybe say, hey, what should I do? And I want to be you. That's what I want. Really? And I was like it for just this one moment. And I, yeah. Not only did I feel good that I was moved and surprised. It's, just so you know, it's not that great being me. <laughs> <laughs> just Come on. Um, but I also felt like I got an experience that no technological mediation would have been able to give me, which was I felt like this is what a peasant felt like in the 16th century when they turned this corner and were like, God lives there. Like, right. And I felt like a, I felt like a complete kinship with this 400-year-old person who had exactly the same experience as I did. I'm yeah. Like, what the fuck is that? I but am crying. They also didn't have the anxiety of thinking they were missing out on any sort of information because there was no information. It's true. They also died at 35, but <laughs> <laughs> but in many ways they were happier. Yeah. Well, there's advancements and some stuff. We have to be careful that we're all caught up in this technology wave and we're riding it like it's nothing, but it's going faster than we go and we just adapt to it. And, uh, you know, what? I had this great conversation with Matt Ruby about, you know, you were saying about choice and the paradox of choice and how exhausting that is, mm-hmm. is that I think in the past, we, you would pay for more choice. You would, yeah. you would pay for more information. 
that those were the commodities that everyone wanted right. and they had value and we had to expend resources to get them. Mm-hmm. In the future, we will pay to not have choice. We will, be, we will pay for quiet. Yes. We will pay for exclusive experiences to the, uh, to the abandonment of all others. It's funny you should say that because this just opened up in, uh, in New York is these sensory deprivation tanks. I want to do that. Have so you heard bad. of this? I've, I've listened to Joe Rogan talk about them all the time. I'm obsessed with them. I want to do them. I'll go with you if you want. Fuck it's, yeah. It's a hundred bucks for an hour. I'm willing to do it though. Isn't that amazing? You pay a hundred bucks to sit and do nothing in a, in a box. In a, in a pool of water. So you're floating and it's salt water and you're floating. If you say some stuff on a phone you're not supposed to, you can do that for free at Guantanamo. Like, (laughs) you know, the government will pay for you. Woof, that really bombed. (laughs) Woof. (laughs) But the sensory deprivation thing, I mean, it's got to be pretty amazing. I mean, I talked about this on the last podcast, but I did do the Vipassana 10-day silent meditation retreat. My wife did that. She did. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm curious. What did she have? Because you don't take in any new information. All you do is meditate. You're not allowed to bring any music, books, writing, nothing. Mm-hmm. So she did it. Yeah. Did you know her when she did it? Oh, yeah. And you just didn't want to join her. Why didn't you go? Oh I mean, I know it's scary as hell. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this. Once you get past the second or third day... It gets incredibly easy. You don't want to leave. I could have stayed way longer. She said she was in kind of physical agony for six of the ten days. Just all the actual sitting. All the sitting. In specific positions. Yeah. I don't know if they did some advanced sitting that you weren't a part of. but No, you feel the aches, but then instead of what you do is instead of quantifying them or qualifying them, you just observe them. You'd be like, oh, I feel, I feel that. But you don't say it's, un- it's necessarily uncomfortable. You just observe that. And then it's the weirdest thing. Right when you observe it, it just disappears. You're like, oh, it's gone. Here's, this is, I love to catastrophize and think of the worst thing I can possibly feel. So <laughs> Matt's nodding his head like, yes, yes. <laughs> so hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. So best case scenario, I go to the 10-day thing and I have a spiritual, mystical, ecstatic revelation <laughs> I feel amazing. So much salt in your words. I feel amazing. And then I come home and then slowly the world eats away at you and you become, you lapse back into every inattentive habit you had before. Yeah. And now you feel worse because you've seen the top of the mountaintop. You've seen bliss. And now you're back in the valleys with the rest of us shitbags. That is the battle. No, you really, you really pinpointed the struggle because you can't live in that world of meditation 24 7 because i don't want to or else i wouldn't be here i'd be in a monastery why don't you want to if it's that great why don't you want to that is the paradox because i want to and i want to enjoy this life i want to do things i want to i also this is a big a big drive is that i want to connect with people and i will say that that's why you took a picture of the sunset and that's why you're telling us about taking a picture of the sunset because i think we all have an innate desire to connect with people we all want to hitch ourselves to something bigger than us. No one wants to be lonely. But apparently you can hang out with those monks and they're great. Like if you're at the monastery, you're all having fun and, you know, you're talking to each other. And I could. And you know what? Like once I... The, the, the moonlight of my life will be spent either in a monastery or doped up on opiates. That's my plan <laughs> for the end both, of my life. Right? It could be both. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Have you had experience with opiates? 
Um, yeah, you know, painkillers, they're pretty great. It's kind of like going back into the womb. It feels, it feels similar to meditation. I have a confession to make. Do it. Exclusive. Is this an exclusive? Exclusive. Never before seen. Confess. I'm on two Xanax right now, and I've never taken it before, and I feel incredible. You took two Xanax? Yes. I, I've been having anxiety issues for the past couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and I've had high stress, and uh, my wife has this stash of like, you know, she'll take one every six weeks, you know, because she had some rock and roll doctor about a year ago who gave her the prescription of a lifetime. Like, yeah, sure, take 400. Yeah. Whatever. Dr. So, Robert. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, first time ever. I feel incredible. I don't know. I don't want to not feel like this. It's surprising you're so chipper because they're, they're a downer. Are they? Yeah. When did, how long ago did you take them? Um, well, I put them in everyone's drink. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I guess I took them. Thank you, Mr. Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You look pretty today. Um, I, I took, I guess it was a, maybe 11 a.m. Okay. That's great. This wow. podcast is documenting the first day of Tom's drug addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it starts out so well. What can I say that's hubristic that will go that in like in 10 years? Like, a, I feel great. I feel amazing. I'm going to write that opera. We'll, 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 we'll play this when you're OD. Absolutely. The day you're found dead, we'll be like, this was the day. Oh, just great. Just play it at the funeral. We should, we should have done the intervention right away. Yeah. No, it's great. I feel I my face feels good. You know, drugs are um, an incredibly easy way to control your emotions. And um, the problem is that we all get a tolerance to them. Really? Yeah. So your two Xanax is making you feel this way. Try and do that tomorrow. Ain't going to happen. You're going to need three or four. Because I feel as good now as I ever have on my best day. And yeah. it's hard to, be, to hard to not go to a bottle and say, like, let's just feel like that without any of without earning it and let me tell you this xanax aren't even opiates what are they xanax are just anti-anxiety medications okay. opiates are like vicodin percocet uh-huh they do a similar thing to xanax but they're actually even better if you can imagine that well xanax isn't a, a painkiller you wouldn't take it if you injured yourself but my soul is oh you're it's it's a painkiller for your for your, for your worries yes absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> it is a really if you're i mean I think drugs have their place. They can be used as tools. That's how I use them. Um, sure, if you can't function or you're, you're rattling your nerves from anxiety, pop a Xanax. Absolutely, as long as you don't make a habit of it. I mean, obviously, meditate first if you can. Now, you seem to be like a music guy. You've got, uh, we're surrounded, we're sitting in a basement with tons of musical equipment everywhere. I'm sure you've been in bands. I'm sure you've lived a kind of a rock and roll life and still are. Um, how do you feel about booze? How does that, what role does that play in your life? Um, I don't, I'm not a big booze drinker. I mean, I'll have a, a drink or two to relax, but I don't like the feeling of being out of control. And, uh, that's kind of what alcohol does to me. It just makes me feel out of control. Then I don't remember so well. Uh -huh. I'm not a big, I don't, I don't love booze. Like if I, if you gave me a list of drugs to legalize, booze would not be on that list. There's so many other drugs that I think should be more common and perhaps legal. Mm -hmm. But you are a drinker. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you just know this about me? Just I, I looking just, at my busted blue, booze face, my big head? Uh, I think it was from doing shows together. You always have a drink. And most comics, it's kind of a shame, but most comics don't drink. It's odd. Why is it a shame? I think it's a sign of the times. You know, back in the 70s, people were a lot more reckless. Uh-huh. 
And you could see it in all art forms. Uh, you look at who are the big comedians, who are the big musicians. Nowadays, there's, it's very, this is my theory, but it's very hard to get ahead. And the people that are getting ahead these days are the ones that kind of have it, their act together. You know, it's these days, if you're, you know, all messed up and you're not showing up to interviews or appointments, you're gone. Mm -hmm. They're going to hire the guy that's going to show up. That's probably true. That's absolutely true. What about you? What's your booze relationship? Uh, maybe between the two of you. I don't really know your drinking, Tom, but uh, I'll enjoy, you know, a couple of beers at the end of the day, maybe in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, for me, probably the reason I don't drink as much as I used to is just feeling shitty, being hungover, yeah. uh, feeling run down, um, and also just, you, you know, making poor choices while drinking. Usually that means just eating a lot of crap at like, you know, 2 a.m. Yeah. Things like that. Um, so I do like alcohol. I do like its effect, but um, I try not to get too drunk these days. Just just pivoting off what you said about like being good and like the people who show up every day and the people who are like get trying to get ahead. Yeah. Well, look at the rock stars now. They're yeah. all pretty sober. I find the, the will to self-improvement to be so fucking exhausting yeah like the number of things you're supposed to have done before uh -huh. like 9 a.m like you know just meditate for 15 minutes and just go for a 40 minute run and just have a smoothie and you know and then right. you know call your family and friends because that's important you know what it is that's too extreme it's like i know it's a very extreme impulse i have like i'm completely feast or famine i'm, I'm like i'm either like trying to cram my entire like all of my life goal life improving goals into yeah. like that hour before the my first coffee of the day well, listen, or, or i'm late for the bus and my pants around my ankles and you know i have a dildo in my ass or whatever you know <laughs> just like oh my life's falling apart all those things are good but when you especially the dildo <laughs> <laughs> all those things are good but i mean you don't want to be too extreme about any of it i mean having a drink or two to wind down is totally fine i'm i'm very wary of any sort of extremes but let's be serious for a second these are the things I want, okay? Okay. I'm going to list them. I want to have a meditation practice. You I do? I, yes. Do I do it? No. Uh -huh. But I want one. I want to have, be physically... Uh, I want to have a body practice. Like, I want to be, be physically engaged and have a good body. Yeah. And feel healthy physically. Yeah. I want to be deeply connected to my family and friends. Mm -hmm. I want my diet to be good. Deeply connected to your family and friends. Yeah, I want to call them all the time and check in and have a very, like, nourishing two-way relationship with them i want to be there for them and i want them to be there right. for me now is that a, is that a thing of quantity or quality because i'm finding like sure i can call more often mm -hmm. or i could just make sure we have like a, a much more quality open uh conversation that makes us feel closer yeah I'm, friends and family I, I, i'd be i'd be down with either but i feel mm -hmm. like right now i don't have i have neither like i don't have a, ri a rich enough conversations with my family and friends with the frequency that i would want and i also don't have that like uh, kind of very light here's a picture you might like saw this joke yeah uh check out this article like i don't we don't have that why either. do you think that is is that is that an english thing because i know that, you know cultures are different i mean also the time difference and the dis physical dis difference and the cultural differences of where i'm living now they don't help yeah i'm not even done with my list I also have incredibly, like, I'm very inflexible and it like hurts. I have back pain and I have hamstring pain and I'm like, I need to, got to stretch 20 minutes a day. Like I really need to 
get on top of that. You do also, yoga? Let's, no, wait. Like, trust me, I beat myself up about all of it. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, also, like, you should do the artist's way. You know, you should just do free writing every morning. You know, just, you know. Yeah. You know the morning pages. Whatever. Yeah, the morning pages. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you'd also, you should also, you know, cook all your meals at home because, you know, you don't want someone else's all that horrible additives and crap that mm-hmm. the restaurants are making. By the time I've done all my morning routines, like, isn't it like 4 p.m.? <laughs> like, when I've done all of those fucking things? It is a lot of work. Maintenance is work. And, you know, it's, that's the thing. It's constant, like, to maintain our bodies and our well-being and our friendships and all that stuff is work. And how do I fit in, like, six hours of masturbation, which is, like, essential? <laughs> Isn't it, that what your wife is for? It's, it, well, <laughs> wow, we've gone really medieval here. <laughs> yes, that's what she's for. That's, that's, the, purpose, that's the purpose of the wench. <laughs> well, it sounds like all of these things that you do want, I think you listed five things, they're all connected. Your, your back and body is going to feel better. Uh-huh. And I know you don't need to hear this from me. You know all this stuff. But you, you, you no, physically, I'm... you're going to feel better if you have less stress and are taking better care of yourself. Yeah, that's I true. I know that. I relate to it. I'm saying this to you, but I'm really saying it to me. Right. It's all, it's all connected, all related. But where does, the te- yeah. why, like, where does the terror come from so I don't do that? Like, why am I not doing all of those things that I know... It's like human frailty, right? Like the, all of those things would be a great investment of my time. Why do I not make the time? I, I, maybe it's the fact that you're thinking about the thousand steps that it might take to get there rather than just thinking about the first step. Mm-hmm. You know, like they say, you know, well, I forget the exact quote, but a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. But if you're thinking about every single step it takes to get you there, it's just going to weigh you down and s- mm-hmm. just stop you from doing anything. Yeah, but what the, that proverb should be updated. Like the journey of a thousand miles takes a single step, but get out your phone and see if it's, is it quicker to take the L or the F? Mm. And then also there's that pizza place you really like on the way. So you should really like take a diversion of that. Oh, wait, I'm getting a call. One second. Yes. I'm not going to answer that. Ha, wait, hang on. I have to text Bill. Oh my God, that's such a hilarious picture of Bill on his Instagram. Let me text him back about that picture. Do you see how it happens? Like, already, I'm, d- I don't distractions. care. Distraction. Yeah. Tons of distractions these days. Television is evil, yet I watch approximately 19 hours a day. Like, yeah. I, I, Matt's, I just... Matt's right, though. Like, uh, one of these things, they're all connected. If you straighten out your back problem and you start to feel better physically, you're going to feel better mentally. And all that stuff just aids each other. It's kind of like playing an instrument. Like I learned how to play guitar. And then once I got good enough on guitar, my friend showed me a keyboard. And he's like, well, here's how you do the chords. And all of a sudden, I can play the keyboard just no. from playing guitar. It's the weirdest thing. But yeah, like because I know the chords on the guitar, I can sit in the keyboard and play all the chords. And I could play all the songs I play on guitar on a keyboard because they all kind of help each other. Did you play guitar growing up? Yeah, yeah. Did okay. you enjoy practicing? I never like practiced to really sit down and practice. I just always enjoyed. It took me a while to find it, but I always enjoyed just singing and playing cover songs and writing my own songs. In the company of other people or by yourself? Uh, both. Yeah. Both. Hmm. I just enjoy it. Yeah. But um, we're here to talk about you. No, but I'm fascinated by how you can, <laughs> by how you... Again, I mean, it all comes back to presence, right? Like, you, you're just not self-conscious in that moment where you're just like, 
Oh, I'm just going to learn the chords to Here Comes the Sun. Fuck it. I, oh, look, that's how it goes. All and, right. And I can play it pretty well. Oh, oh that's I'm, cool. I'm definitely very conscious performing for people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I definitely get nervous. But, but I think that practicing is about presence, too, because you can shut everything else off and just go, oh, I'm just going to do this for a little bit. Then you think, well, what is presence? To me, like pres- when I'm really present, I'm not present. Sure. Yeah, you're not thinking about it. Yeah. You're just doing a thing. Yeah, once I think, oh, I'm practicing, then I'm not present anymore. Mm-hmm. I think also, again, you talking about modern technology and distractions, when you were a child, it was much easier just to sit and play your guitar because there probably weren't that many options or different things you can do. You can yes. hang out with your friends. You can watch yeah. you know, a few stations, not the same that we have now, and uh, on TV, or you can sit and play your guitar. Yeah, but my parents had TV and cable, and for some reason they put a television in my room. I don't know why. I wouldn't do that if I had a kid. But um, they wanted to limit your own free thinking. <laughs> they wanted to sh- they <laughs> shut me the hell up. But um, yeah, I mean, sure, there's tons of distractions. I'm but, amazed by the number. I want to write uh, an article about this. Like, of course, it's on the to-do list that I'm never going to finish. But number one, the number make of a t- list. The number of times I would love to just keep a written record mm-hmm. of a single day of my life how many times my phone distracts me yeah i i saw something i forgot what it was on but it was some kind of new show when it was it, it said like how many times does the average american look at their phone and i th- i think i just like There's immediately a- popped in my head i was like i don't know 25 30 and no. then it showed like the multiple choices and it was like Starting with like, you know, 50, 100, 200, 300. And then I was like, I don't even want to see this. I have, I, I like, have stats. Uh, I have stats on me. Do you yeah, want to know? Yeah, yeah. There's please. an app that tells you how many times you. I just downloaded it. You did? Yeah. It's, I, I downloaded it and I deleted it because I was horrified. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. How, what's your number? How many times? You Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours a day Spent. using the phone and uh, uh, 81 times a day checking. Unlocking. I unlocked my phone 81 times in a day. That app tells you all that information, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's horrifying. It's, hor- it's yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to delete it too. But what I do is I do the chicken shit way. Is if you turn off location services, uh-huh. it won't, like, they won't count. So, it, like, towards the total. You're tricking the app. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I lie to myself through technology. <laughs> but we shouldn't, we shouldn't. There's a lot of product productivity that happens on the phone too. Sure. Can I can I go back and ask you uh, what else your wife got out of Vipassana? Sure. She loved it. She was extremely present. She like had that you know had those moments. She could just she could just just drive for hours at a time without listening to the radio and would just be completely like oh I'm engaged in driving and enjoying the scenery and she. Um, uh, Did she when she came back? Was she different? Yeah, very much so. How so? You know, she could meditate for an hour. Was she more present with you in conversation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was. She was just, yeah, she was happy and engaged. Mm-hmm. But then very sad that it was all slipping away. Yeah. Do you go is. every year? No, I mean, there are people who go every year. I am doing a one day uh, in like two weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's just a one day, so it's not going to be she, like... She told this great story, like every day they pretty much ate the same thing. But yeah, yeah, but on like one day, it was all this great, you know, vegan temple food. Yeah. But on one day, there were like carrots or something. Like one ingredient was different. And she, yeah. was, she felt it in her entire system. She was like, it's, I feel the carrots 
being processed now. Yeah. That is a different feeling. Just become more sensitive to everything. 100%. So much more sensitive to everything. You could taste everything. There's so much going on that we're not even taking in. We're numb. Mm -hmm. We're just walking around so numb all the time. And doing that meditation kind of made me realize how numb we are. I mean, even now, talking about it and being conscious of it, I'm still totally numb. When you really get deep into the meditation, you feel all the bugs on your skin. Because, you know, we all have little tiny bugs on our skin. You feel them. You feel your. You feel every little thing moving. Well, I'm, notice- on, I'm on drugs, so I already feel <laughs> that there are bugs crawling over my skin. But that's a different feeling. Why would you take two Xanax and not just one? Because I'm not a pussy. No. <laughs> no. Well, I took one and... Um, when I dive, I dive deep. <laughs> <laughs> I do two. Yeah, that's... Yeah, because two Xanax, as we all know, killed Cobain. Um, we, I, I took one and it wasn't really... I, I was, she was like, do you feel any different? I was like, no. And she was like, take more then. <laughs> what did she so, give you, two minutes? So I, so I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she also charged me. <laughs> is your wife trying to kill you i think she is she, my my wife is a 1970s drug dealer she has a large brimmed hat with a feather in it she just wanted the citizenship yeah right? absolutely um oh man what was it gonna i had something queued up but uh to say but well we'll come back to it so your wife you met her here no i met in japan oh is she uh japanese no no she's a uh arizona lady how come i never see her at your shows I'm curious about this. That's a one. great question. I don't want her to come most of the time. And here's why. Because uh I don't Okay. Why? I, I don't write I don't write a lot of um I don't write as much as I want to. So that yeah. in a t- she's doing she's seeing me do the same material over and over again. And I get embarrassed by that. Um best case scenario, I do well. Mm-hmm. And she likes to see me do well. But I feel responsible for her good time. Right. I if you could I would prefer to go on stage full of uh, with an audience of total strangers mm. over my family and friends or even anyone who knows me even vaguely any day of the fucking week. Interesting. I want com- I want to be a complete blank slate for people. Yeah. Well, I, you'll get a more fair response that way. Does it relax you more? Yeah, fuck the response. Like that's yeah, I feel like if I fail, mm-hmm. I can just melt away into the night and I can forget about it. Can I tell you something? A, a big difference I have because I've performed music a lot. Like mm-hmm. I've done, a, I've toured and done a lot of musical performing. And um, performing music, I always felt that way. Like I don't want any of my anyone that knows me there. I want to perform to strangers. But I find comedy because it's so conversational. And you like with music, you just play your song and you hope the audience comes along with you on that ride. But with comedy, it's a conversation. You have to engage everybody. So I love having a good friend in the audience that I can look at and talk to directly so I ground myself in that conversation. Ah, that's interesting. But it's not a conversation, is it? It's like an illusion of one. Yeah, it's an illusion of a conversation. But you should speak to the audience like it's a conversation. I also don't want that, like, if you do badly. Like, doing badly is one thing. Like, we mm-hmm. all bomb, it's fine. You Eventually, you just... That pain builds up like a callus of your soul, and you just it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah. But I just don't want to just have them fish for an imaginary compliment. Oh, or find some hook to hang. Like, you were so... Yeah. Yeah. He was so great. I had a it friend pretend great. I had a friend pretend she wasn't there <laughs> when I bombed. That's a great friend. 
Yeah, I was sure I saw her in the audience. And when I got off stage, she's like, oh, I just got here. Did I miss it? I love that friend. That's a great friend. <laughs> you should, that's someone you should treasure. Because someone who didn't, they lied to you in exactly the right way. I could see that, though. Like, when you bomb, it's like there's just a smell. You have this aura. And, like, you just want to leave the building. So having your wife there, you don't want to bring that home with you. And I've heard from people, from comics, much my senior, who've said, stay in the building. Stay in the room. Why? Stay. Because it helps. Because you have to treat this as normal. You can't escape it. You can't run away from your failure. You have to sit and see everybody's face Mm -hmm. and see people do well. People who aren't as good as you in your mind kill. And that experience is going to make you stronger. It's like a kind of a pain... And a kind of discomfort that uh, I've heard Big J Okerson talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. that, that you really need. And also, you need to normalize the process of bombing. If you bomb and leave the venue right away and then go f- fill your face with pizza or Xanax or bourbon, yeah. whatever the fuck it is, yeah. or go play Settlers of Catan, like whatever your drug is to numb you from the real feeling of, yeah. of your current failure, um, you know, you're actually like magnifying what failure is. And you're not really learning from it. It's like, right. you know, right. you're hiding it from yourself. If you stay in the venue, stay all night, stay, stay till it closes. And just process it. You know what? You're, real, you're, you're training your soul to be like, well, no one died. Nothing really that bad happened. It's so painful, though, because people don't want to talk to you. You feel like you smell really bad. But find a way. You do feel, feel like you smell bad. Um, <laughs> and in your case, it's 100% true. No, but you want to you wanna just somehow just go like it wasn't that bad and this is normal and however it's gonna go i'm gonna stay in the venue and i'm gonna have a good time hopefully it's not normal yeah no but weirdly the more normal it becomes the Mm -hmm. less it happens because if you're like this could happen and i'm okay with it yeah then you get this mystical confidence that comes over you and is projected onto the audience where they're like oh Oh, we trust this guy to make us laugh. This We trust this person to be funny. So do you do this? If you bomb, you stay? If I can, I'm trying to make myself. I don't always... doesn't always happen. Now, do you talk to other comics and do you acknowledge the fact that you bombed with other comics? Would you acknowledge that? Yeah, I'm manipulating them when I do that, but I, yes. Manipulate, trying to get sympathy from them? I want to get the punch in first, so I want to say, "Ugh, that was oof, that was awful. God, right. that was terrible. They stink." Right. And then if you say that, um, you know, it's like you got there first. You, right. know, you beat them to the punch. Well, isn't know. that a big part of comedy? Is just acknowledging the truth in the room. Yeah, I hate it when people go, "No, it was, no, it was great." Like right. the lie. People always lie an octave higher than their <laughs> yeah. regular voice. Don't you find? You know, like, I'm gonna listen for that. It was good. No, no, it was good. Good. Like the fucking liar. I think also it's just never yeah. as bad as any of us think. Sure. You, you know, and and I see because I'm not a stand up, and uh-huh. I, but I do hang out with them a lot, and I can see that moment when a stand up is on stage and they think they're bombing. Maybe they had a joke that didn't hit as much as they want, and then all of a sudden I just see the dread come over them. Yeah, and it becomes this spiral. And, you know, I've, I've never seen you perform, Tom, but so many... Many people have not. 
Yeah. But, you know, what happens is you can just see them falling apart and they just start digging deep holes and start, you know, talking shit about themselves, blaming the audience and just digging themselves deeper and deeper instead of realizing one bad joke is just one bad joke. Sure. And likewise, one bad performance is one bad performance. And you're just one comic among yeah. anywhere between five and 20 that night. And yeah. Like Tom was saying, if you leave, you're bringing that pain with you. If you hang out, you're realizing, eh, at the end of the night, no one really gives a shit that your joke didn't I'll, I'll fly. I'm going to try that next time, just stay in the in the venue, but it's so painful. It is. It's really, and, but like no, no true growth is without pain, right? So like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's that painful, it's probably a huge signal that you should definitely be doing it. Right. And that's the, that's the problem with drugs now that we're on the first day of your drug addiction. <laughs> Absolutely. Is that, uh, you know, growth and pain are very much related. So taking drugs, that's the problem. It, it, mm-hmm. it really just does, it does stunt your growth. But yeah, I'm going to disagree with you in like a kind of weirdly tangential way. I'm not even sure if I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm just like devil's advocating. I no, I I'm going to agree with you there too. If you're going to, if you're going to say that they have their place, because yeah, right. you shouldn't walk around like a nervous, anxiety ridden wreck. You I sh- I have a page. I'm sorry, I have a page in my um like uh, composition notebook where I had like seven or eight silly little creative projects that I would like to do in the next six months to a year. I just wrote them in a list. And a week ago, I felt like garbage warmed up. Like, I felt so (laughs) fucking terrible. I was deeply... About as deeply depressed as I get. Yeah. Which is like, I can function, but like, I'm not a happy guy. Um, Then you should definitely watch out with the downers. Right. Which is what Xanax is. Well, here's the thing. I read that list and I was like, this is a list of uh, a, a retarded hack. This list is terrible. Every idea on this piece of paper should be burned and like burned and then buried in a deep hole and then like lime put over the hole so nothing grows there. Like just a, these mm-hmm. are terrible ideas. Now, and then, how, I t- how- then I took two Xanax today and I just looked at the list. Yeah. I thought I was a fucking genius. Everything on those lists, uh, everything on the list, I was like, well, I didn't think I was a genius, but I was like, Oh, those are all fun things. I should definitely do those things. Yeah. So my perspective was completely changed by two tiny little pills. That's the problem with being uh, with observing yourself. It's impossible to get an objective perspective on yourself. I mean, I feel that way about uh, everything I do. Sometimes I think it's good, and sometimes I think it's bad. And I don't know. It's it's impossible to uh, be objective with yourself. The only time I really feel like I know is when. I just feel like it didn't come from me and it came from somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, that felt right. I wasn't present at all. And just like that felt right. Those are the best moments. Yeah. And that's like true presence. And that is, that is when you're doing crowd work in a stand-up context, when you're, when you're interacting with the crowd. Mm-hmm. And the, the funny thing, it's almost like you didn't think of it. The funny thing comes out of your mouth. Yep. And it's delighting the room. Yeah. And yeah, those are very special moments. And it got a bigger laugh than all the material you've been hemming and hawing about. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah, it's, that's why crowd work is such a... That's that's an opiate of stand-up, right? That's it's, like... Because look at that motherfucker in the shirt. Can get a huge laugh. And this wonderful bit you've written about phones. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah I guess that's kind of funny. Yeah, but, but it's make, also... make fun of that guy's shirt again. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think it's something... It's not necessarily what you said. It's like an energy that the crowd 
felt connected with you because they knew on some innate level that that was just happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. And they were all connected with you on that. It'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. It's never happened before. It's yeah. very odd how a crowd can tell subconsciously what's material and what's right off the cuff. Don't you love that? There's a tiny little sting of disappointment from an audience when like, you're up front and you're making fun of the last comic or you're making fun of someone in the front row or like you're the venue or you're riffing about something and it's blah, 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 something that happened today in the mm-hmm. news. And then you just like there's a subtle gear change and you just go, so I'm married. Oh, and then you slide into material. Right, right. right. And then the audience is like, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I do yeah. think that that's part of it too. It's not just that they're feeling in a moment. It's just your delivery of it. Yeah. And I think, uh, especially if you are doing the same material over and over again, there's probably a part of it where it doesn't seem as genuine, uh, in your performance where, where you're, you're just riffing and it's, you're alive, you're connected. And then you go into that same, I've been married joke, you know, that you've been doing for three years. I think that's part of the craft is going from an improvisation to that. People who can, people who can, there's that great quote that says, um, you know, if you really want to succeed in show business, you need, um, sincerity. And, uh, if you can fake that kid, you got it made. (laughs) Uh, so there's like, the true great comics can like make it look like this is the first time they've ever said it, the first time they're thinking it, but this is very crafted, polished material. Now, I have a question for you as an improviser. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing improv? Maybe about five years. All right, great. That's because I'm about five, six years into stand-up. Mm-hmm. How often do you do an improv show that is a fucking abortion, that is like... Just because they they can be bad, like, and I did improv for two or three years, and I served up my fair share of horrific fucking shows. How? What would you say your strike rate is between like good and like oh my god, that was appalling. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Maybe a third of the time it's completely horrendous. Oh but god! I think. Since now that I've been doing it for a few years, I don't make a bad situation worse. Where I think maybe at some point, maybe a few years ago, if just similar to what I was saying with stand-ups, if I felt things were going wrong, I would just start digging deeper and just try to be like bigger or funnier or try to change it instead of just being like, oh, that didn't work. Just keep moving on and not worrying about it. So um, for me, that's the biggest change over the years is just caring less about the success of it, knowing that it's impossible to be successful all the time and accepting that. And that makes it a little easier. Do you get up in the same places? Like, do you have regular shows? Um, I mean, I have a show tonight. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, regular shows, maybe about once a week on average. Uh-huh. Uh, a few different venues, but a lot of them are repeat venues. You work with the same people over and over again? Uh, currently working with, yeah, a bunch of people that I've been working with close to a year now. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you, you hate improv. No. You love it. I do it. not hate it. Uh-huh. I deeply respect it yeah. when done well. Yeah. Um, and when I think it's... I think that... Because a lot of stand-ups hate improv for some no, reason. No, I, I deeply respect it. I think it's the soul of something very special. Me too. I think the just the whole art of it is great. Sometimes the performance of it is painful, but... Uh, the concept of it, I love. Yeah, this, the the art of improv is is 
is besmirched and sullied by some of its greatest fans. Mm-hmm. Like the people who love it and the people who just like, let's do it all the time. Let's do a jam. Well, it's yeah. like, it's yeah. usually some like overweight white guy in cargo shorts and an Iron Maiden t-shirt, like ruining my life, you know, like <laughs> up there on that, on that stage, like, oh, we're in space. And like, oh, fuck you. This is nothing to do with the human soul. You just, you just wanted attention and this is the right. only way you could get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did improv before you did stand up? Yeah. Yeah. And How have they helped each other? Or how has improv helped stand up? Um, because I find improv helps everything. Like when mm-hmm. I took improv and I felt like I was having better phone, I was having better conversations with people. I thought you were going to say phone sex. <laughs> I like, thought I was too for a second. Like, hey. <laughs> hey, baby. You're so sexy. Hey. So I'm doing this. Take uh, a break from driving that submarine. I'm doing object. <laughs> I'm yes anding you, baby. <laughs> doing crowd work mm-hmm. below the belt um object work i meant to say but yeah i find that uh improv is just so helpful for everything it's like so much in life i found it really helped my writing probably more than stand-up like like stand-up um i'm a huge fan obviously of stand-up comedy that's like what i've dedicated my life to in lots of ways but the writing improv really helps your writing i think because you you, you get in that position of like well if this is true what else is true right how can i I've set some rules for myself in the first line or paragraph of what I'm writing. How do I, you know, expand the universe with where those rules apply? Right, building it. Yeah, and games and stuff like that. Finding the game. Yeah, really, really cool. And like finding ways to hide it and then bring it back. You know, that that really helped me. In Mm. terms of the performance stuff, you know, I I would love, you know, it's always, you know, stand-ups don't really go back to improv more it tends to be like a one-way street. Like yeah. you started doing improv and then you'd stand up and you don't go back to it. Yeah. I would love to make all improvisers like do five years of stand up because then they would be insanely honest and true to themselves and would never do the, like that ridiculous, like organic openings and stuff that yeah. like, there's like, you that's never going to go over. Like what you're doing is performance art. Yeah. And you know, the thing about performance art is that normal people hate it because mm-hmm. it sucks so don't do it but like mind the reality of like human experience and anxiety and dread and stuff yeah which is what the best improvisers do like you go see like yeah um you know like john lutz and scott adds it like they're uh, not doing they're any they're not doing any like silly like they're not silly it's grounded in reality incredibly grounded right. yeah and silliness has its place i guess it's mm. not my cup of tea me neither yeah. um but like even when they come out on stage like oh my god the dancing around like they're a fucking subway dance crew it's like what are you doing give me the gun i will kill myself you're a grown-up we're all grown-ups please don't do this they don't even know why they're doing it it's just nerves it's the oddest thing. I don't know where the silly goofiness comes from. I, I think it depends in some cases. And I agree with you. I don't like seeing it. I don't like doing it. Yeah. But for some people who are not as comfortable, it's a good way to just kind of get your nerves out and shake it out on stage and, and kind of throw yourself into it. In that way, I see it's a good, but mm-hmm. I don't agree that it needs to be like, this is how we need to present ourselves. Right. Well, yeah. every team, <clears throat> most teams are doing it. So mm-hmm. they all just follow. Them. If yeah. you really think about it with improv, it's like, it's, no one in any sphere of activity looks as pretend happy to be there as like an improv truth. Like no one, professional wrestlers don't dick around like that before a match. Like right. professional wrestlers look 
more normal than a guy doing improv for a year before they do their thing, you know? And that guy's wearing, like, Legion of Doom armor and has paint on his face. I think each each art form have something to learn from the other, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, improv is... Uh, I except, liked what you said. Except those sketch cunts. They can burn in hell. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I like what you said before. I think that's what improvisers can learn from stand-ups is grounding in reality and being really more honest. Uh-huh. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. It would be interesting to force every stand-up to do improv and vice versa. I think a lot of improvisers would be, you know, really frightened to do stand-up. I'm thinking of going back. Like, I, I genuinely am thinking of going taking some more classes and, and mm-hmm. experimenting more in that side of myself. Yeah. But I just need to find people who are on my wavelength because if, if, if people do the dancey shit, right. I'm going to walk out. Right. Like I right. won't do it. Well, that's what's hard about improv is it's like finding a band or a, a wife or a lover. It's uh-huh. that chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. If you just start taking classes or going to jams or whatever, yeah, you're going to run into so many of those. We're on the moon kind of <laughs> sketches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm a strange doctor. Right. I have. D- <laughs> Most doctors are professionals, but I believe that this makes you better. Oh, God. Right. Jesus, if I have to do one more scene like yeah, that yeah, again, yeah. I'm going to kill myself. So what are, your, what are your plans for the future? And you've got this Comedy Central job. Does it lead to anywhere else? Do you want to write for a show? I'd love to write for a show. I would well, love... Can it lead to a show on Comedy Central? Um, I think that... I am very close to people who make those kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you know, one day it's not going to hurt that I could go down the hall and talk to somebody. Right. But, you know, these things, I think our our brains want to think that there's a, these are very clear stepping stones and clear maps to success. Right. But these things are so completely unpredictable, chaotic, organic, insane meetings of people it's so hard to get anything made Yeah, um, that I, I doubt that the first thing that I make that is uh, that could be seen by a lot of people would yeah. be from a Comedy Central connection just right. because it's never how you think it's going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's it's interesting what you said earlier on in this podcast because you how you got the job is kind of just so random. Yeah, when people ask me, like, how did you get how did you get this? And I'm like, well, I could tell you, but it's not going to be a path you can replicate. Right. You should just do a thing because you really want to do it and do it well and passionately, and it will lead to great things. Right. And might, might not be what you thought they would be, yeah. but they'll be great. Well, that's mm-hmm. one path. I feel like a lot of people take a different approach where they say, okay, I want to write for this show, so I'm going to do this, that, and that's going to lead to that, and that's going to lead to that, and then I'll end up where I want to be. And I think when you do that, you're eliminating, you're kind of making yourself uh, tunnel-visioned, and you could be eliminating the possibilities of, hey, maybe that could have happened, and you could have ended up doing something totally different, but equally as fulfilling. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people just try to follow someone else's path. Right. Like, it would be if someone heard your story and be like, oh, all right, this is the way I'm going to be successful. I'm going to try to write a column in a newspaper about comedy shows, and you'd be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, (laughs) because my thing was random. And like you said, yeah, you just got to do your own thing the best way you can and hopefully and also just not be an asshole but it's it's and but you should give yourself a break and like 
understand that what we've said is like you know follow your bliss and like don't care what other people think and let's just do it that's uh it's it's very difficult to do in practice and like if you're having trouble doing it today that's okay you know it's painful like we're 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 a bunch of idiotic chimps who want to make the other chimps like us and so we'll do what the chimps mind thinks is good and we'll and we'll get pats on the back from the other chimps because we're wired to do that because we need other chimps to survive we need them to have our back it's very difficult to be like i don't care if the other chimps are going to make fun of me they may think this is so stupid i'll just uh, fuck it like, i'm going to agree and disagree because i think i think you're like me with this as well like you ever have a joke that you that gets a laugh but you think it's just not it's not intelligent enough or it's just kind of dumb and you're like yeah i could say that and it'll get a laugh but I don't want to appeal to that lower mentality and maybe you'll whip it out on like an out of town show, you know, where you do have that kind of audience. But for the most part, you're like, I'm not going to do that joke, even though it's going to get a laugh. That's interesting. Yeah, kind of. I kind of have had that experience. Yeah. I'll, I'll more. So you, in that case, you're doing yeah. it for not for them. You're doing it for you or for some greater good. You know what's weird is I've hardly done any stand-up outside of um, New York or Portland, Oregon. Oh, yeah? Isn't that insane? I have... I, so I don't really know how funny I am on a, on a like, a, a, on an average basis, on a kind of, like, a median room full of regular people. Like yeah. A, like a, like a, a cross-section of the country. Yeah. I have no idea because I've only done comedy in, like, the most, like, snobby white person... Graduate, right. graduate school bullshit places. That's what I hate about bar shows in general. It's always pretty much a similar demographic. Mm. But um, getting back before we get on that, I want to finish up. Like, uh, you know that question, everyone, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. And when you do that, when you say, oh, that's where I see myself in five years, I think it's very dangerous to put yourself in a place in five years because then you can establish that tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool how you ended up with Comedy Central. You weren't planning on it. You're just like, oh, I have this idea. And then boom, 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 one thing led to another. Plus, I feel good that the way I got my job now was basically by plugging everyone else. Like, all Mm -hmm. I did was just say, like, I put what little spotlight I could from the press, from, like, this this small alternative weekly that has cachet, doesn't have a lot of readers, but, you know, it's cool. Yeah. People dig it. Mm -hmm. And I just put that light on other people. Right. Well, it's kind of like interviewing. Yeah, I f- you're right. Yeah. Like, I feel ethically good about that. It's like, all I did was make people, was like, invite members of the public to go to my friend's shows. And all they wanted was an audience. So, like, oh, right. I feel... Win-win. I, I, yeah, win-win for everyone there. Well, in, where do I see myself in five years? I think... You know, I think it's a dangerous... You can answer it, but I think it's a dangerous question. Well, I'll be giving blowjobs to Xanax. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's a fact. I will see you in five years with a whole lot of Xanax. <laughs> if your wife's sitting at home counting the money. <laughs> I did it. I pimped him out. Oh, man. Yeah, she'd be a great pimp. She'd be just good enough at just keeping me just on that leash. You know, like, I love you, baby. You know, them, them other boys I don't like, but I love you. You're my best. You're my top earner, baby. I love you so much. It hurts me. I, you have to do this, but you know, it's doing it for us. Yeah, she'd be a great pimp. That sounds exactly like um, I imagine your wife sounding. Yeah, she's she's um, very large and terrifying. I feel like we've had a theme of a FOMO has been a theme. FOMO is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that we talked about FOMO so much. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Mm. Fear of missing out. Mm. 
I think that, I mean, that starts with children. Yeah. You know, like a, like a, a young child often you'll be like, oh, do you have to go to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. And they'll say no, because they're, they're scared they're going to miss out on a minute of, of life. Right. You know, because they don't, they don't have the, they can't conceive that tomorrow is another day that they can do fun stuff. I thought you were going to say having children, which mm-hmm. is, you know, if you don't have a kid, you miss out on having a kid. But then if you don't have a kid, you miss, if you do have a kid, you miss out on not having a kid at that age. Because, you know, if you spend your 40s raising a kid, and if you don't have, you miss out on what it would be like to spend your 40s rocking and rolling and not having a kid. Either way, you're going to miss out on something. Yeah. Missing out is, wow, that's, yeah, it's quite, I think we're stumbling around something quite profound there. That missing out is the, is, is the byproduct of opting in to anything. Right. And, and often it's a, it's a stronger feeling of missing out than and the joy you can get from engaging. You sometimes. must miss out. You must. Yeah. In order to do anything, you must miss out. So we should embrace we should. the mo. We should embrace it. And also... Embrace if, the mo. If you're living in the discontent of worrying about your, what you've missed out on, then you're missing out on what you're doing. Yeah, you're not even enjoying mm-hmm. the choice you made. Yeah. You're torturing yourself with a thousand what-ifs. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that idea. I think we got somewhere today. Nailed it. <laughs> well, um, did we miss on anything? I'm, I'm fearful of that. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. just want to say to the listener who's listening to this right now that you could have done literally anything with this hour and a half, but mm-hmm. you, you chose to, to spend it with us. And don't worry what about a, what you missed out. Don't on. worry about it. Don't worry about it. You you made a right decision. You engaged with three adults talking about meaningful things, and it was. I think we all had a good time. I'm having TC FOMO. What does that mean? Tom Cow, I'm having fear of missing out on anything of your life that we didn't touch on today. Well, you can uh, just follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and that's it. <laughs> that's that's what you. we'll all have to do. Mm-hmm. This, cool. was, this was great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing it. This was absolutely great. That's it. I'm good. All right. Yeah. FOMO it up.